Good day, Warrior Nation. And listen, we are super excited here at the Wartime Leadership Podcast to be able to team with Liquid IV to bring to you a very special promo. My family, you know we live here in the South. And let me tell you, we know what hot looks like. Day in and day out, it is hot, 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 hot. It doesn't matter the season. It doesn't matter the time of year. It's going to be hot. And Liquid IV has become a staple in my family's every single day living. Uh, Recently, we received an order and inside there was strawberry lemonade, which is a new flavor that Liquid IV just recently put out. And let me tell you, it easily became my favorite. Now, there are 12 delicious flavors to be able to choose from, all of which contain five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code WARTIME at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WARTIME at liquidiv.com. Welcome to the Wartime Leadership Podcast. This week's guest, Dallas Goodland, and now your host, Nathan Coy. Welcome back to the Wartime Leadership Podcast, where we explore what spiritual resilience looks like in the lives of our guests, who are people from all different walks of life. Too often, we are afraid to have this conversation because we think of it as the third rail of the subway. Nobody wants to grab a hold of it and just talk. And that's what we're doing here. So, Jeff, thank you for the intro. And today's guest is Dallas Goodlett. Now, listen, folks, I know you've heard me say it before. I know you've heard me say it once, not twice, not even three times, but I am excited about today's episode, and most of you are going to find out why. Most of you who listen to the podcast know that uh, that I have a very special place in my heart for adoption, and this is a story of adoption, uh, resilience, uh, overcoming so much that was thrown at, uh, at life, but Dallas, how are you today? I'm doing great. Actually, hey, tomorrow is my birthday, so even better. Hey, <laughs> you know what? Day. Just be glad that I don't sing on this uh, show. I wish you would. Yeah. Well, you want your, me to? All you're enough tomorrow, I'm sure. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. But I will say this: Happy birthday, Dallas. Thank you, sir. Yes, appreciate it. Hey, it's a good day, though. It really is. And even even if it wasn't your birthday tomorrow, it would still be a great, oh, great day, day today. Uh, you know, Dallas and I had a little short conversation coming into this, and and he understands a little bit about why this is a special uh, topic for me. But um, most of what he's going to talk about was, you know, on a different side for us. It was actually on the parent side of what he went through. So, uh, Dallas, before we get into that, we need to go through five random questions. Now, these are probably going to be the easiest questions you're going to have, and I'm not going to skip one. I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you're going to have to answer them all. What is your favorite color and why? Uh, I would say green. Green because uh, I'm a nature lover. So just trees, plant life, anything that's living green. Uh, I'd say, yeah, green's my favorite color for that reason. So you like to go on hikes? Love hiking, yep. I lived in uh, so, lived in Colorado for four years, so oh. yeah, big time hiker. 
Oh yes, absolutely. So I I spent a lot of time in Breckenridge okay, and yep. some of those those spaces. So Beautiful. I understand that. All right, so your next one. Who inspires you? Right now? You tell me. Well, so there is a guy uh, I follow online. His name's Wes Watson. If nobody's out there ever heard of him, please look him up. Uh, he's kind of, somebody has changed my life over the last few years. Well, I wrote it down, so I'm going to definitely look him up. But why, what is it about him that inspires you? Well, his story, I mean, kind of, I mean, I can't really compare myself to him, but he was a guy, he was in prison for 10 years. And, uh, when he got out of prison, he was just totally reformed. Uh, most people that go to prison, they're, they're, they get out and they're worse. He came out and, uh, he's just, he's about as inspirational as it gets. He's really changed my life for the better. He's uh, one of my mentors, actually, one of my coaches. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Definitely look him up. So, what is a soundtrack that is the soundtrack of your life? A movie soundtrack that is the soundtrack of your life? Um, I would say, well, in my in my past experiences, a movie called Requiem for a Dream. Oh, have you ever seen it? Oh, yes. Well, yeah, one of my favorite movies. That was the old me, though. Um, yeah, I don't know with these days, um, but yeah, that movie I used to watch a lot, but I'd probably say that was in my wilder times before I kind of healed myself. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm not really a big movie watcher anymore. You know, I read a lot of books. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, uh, I have to think now. Actually, now I'm going to have to think because that's the first time that that question's ever come up. And now I'm going to have to actually come up with my answer for it. So it's a great question. Yeah, these these all are pretty good. So I, I told you that you have to listen to the entirety of the question. So thank you so far, Dallas, for actually following that direction. What is a misconception others have about you? Uh, I could say sometimes people think I'm arrogant to a degree because I I, I mean, I'm, it's, it's more shyness. Um mm. You know, I, it takes me a lot to be open to people, I guess. And once I am, I, I'm really open. But I'm just, I guess I'm not the most outgoing right off the bat. So some people could mistake that as uh, standoffish or arrogant. Which you could know, be I mean, further from the truth, I promise. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, even in the short time that you and I have been talking, I couldn't, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, if I just, if I'm in a crowd, I'm just not, you know, not going around open to everybody i'm just i kind of i kind of get to know people i guess before i open up a little bit yeah well and that's that's a good journey of life because you know i've been trying to tell my son not everybody is your friend right you don't have to refer to it as my friend billy what's billy's last name i don't know yeah i don't know if he's so much your best friend so you might want to watch that bud so Dallas, already good stuff, man. We're already learning a lot because of the answers that you've been given. But how about if you take us on a journey? Take us uh, through your background. Kind of take us back as far as you want to go and and just uh, just bring us up to the current. Yeah, I mean, just kind of delve into my story here then. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Well, and here's how I, I kind of tell people I, I break my life up into five chapters. Um Chapter one, I would say, was when I found out I was adopted. I was uh, five years old, and I was sitting on my mom's lap. I remember like it was yesterday. She was at her piano. I'm sitting there with her, 
and she explains that uh, you know that I was adopted. So at, at that age, at that moment, I had already kind of felt like there's I was well, I guess you probably say something's wrong with me. I felt different. I felt unique. I just kind of felt like special in a way. I mean, it was just, it was a mixed bag of things, but I, I didn't really feel like I fit in. Um, and I don't ever want to say the words, you know, I felt like I didn't have a real family, but at that time, you know, I was five years old and I guess I, I kind of did feel that way. Um, so yeah, from, you know, and I had a great childhood too. Uh, parents that adopted me were very loving, very caring, um, grew up in church, thank God. So I always had church values instilled in me. Um, but yeah, I just never really felt like I fit in and it, there was a lot of anger issues that came with that, a lot of shame, a lot of uh, embarrassment. Growing up, kids found out, you know, I was adopted and they tease you and whatnot. So, yeah, I had a lot, a lot of anger growing up. So, but, you know, there was a duality that too. Like I say, there was a lot of anger, but, you know, I thank God to this day that I was adopted into a very loving, family-oriented home because that could have went worse or in a different direction. And I, who knows where I would have been at. So, um, I do thank God while I didn't have the best mindset at that young age, I was surrounded by love and caring. So now what held were you when you were adopted? Um, so I was born my birth mother and then around two months old, I was basically from what I understood taken from her by the state because she was kind of deemed mentally unstable to take care of me. I found out later she was in a mental institution. Um, so I had a set of foster parents adopt or take me in, excuse me, from that two month age up until I was about two. And then my parents I've had now that I've never, I've never known any different. And it's another thing I'm thankful for. From the earliest memories ever, I've had my parents I have now. So basically by the time I was two, I had been through three sets of, you know, families. Mm. So. And so then comes chapter two of your life. Yeah. Chapter, well, you know, I'll tell you, at the end of chapter one, high school, um, started drinking a little bit, started smoking pot, um, fighting all the time, you know, fist fights. I played sports and everything. So I, you know, I had an athletic background, um, but again, that anger was still there. So. Chapter two is kind of where things go off the rails and uh, how that happened was I was 19 years old and I was working at a Kmart of all places. You remember Kmarts? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think they're around anymore, but I was working at a Kmart. Um, you know, I wasn't in college. I was kind of drifting through life and who I had thought was my birth mother had come in and gave me her phone number. Now, get a little bit of background. The family I thought were my birth parents and birth family, I would see these people at, I used to wrestle and I would see them at wrestling tournaments all the time. So who I grew up believing were my biological brothers, I see them 10 feet away at these wrestling tournaments. Mm. But I had so much anger and resentment inside of me, I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want nothing to do with them. Um, so yeah, who I thought was my birth mother came into the Kmart and gave me her phone number and, um, I, I crumpled it up, put it in my pocket and I went home that day and I was talking to my dad and I told him, I said, Hey dad, her name is Beth. And I said, yeah, Beth came in 
and gave me her phone number today. And I, you know, I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to talk to her or anything to do with her. And uh, my dad looked at me, and that's when uh, things really changed. And that's when he's like, Dallas, you know, that's not your birth mother. And I was like, huh? And uh, I tell people this. The only way I can explain this is like if if somebody steps on a landmine and their body just blows to pieces. That's how I felt. What happened to my my ego, my mind, everything about me just kind of yeah exploded. And at that time, you know, I didn't really have any um, you know, at least I I thought I knew who my birth parents were. And when I found that out, I felt like I didn't know nothing. And it was, I had such misguided hate and anger towards my, my parents that I have now. Um, 2020, you know, hindsight's 2020. And um, I found out later that, you know, when, and you may know this with, you know, your son, but there was open cases and closed cases with adoption then. So mine was considered a closed case where they weren't supposed to know anything about the birth mom. Now... I got lucky because my foster parents at that time, they passed on some information that they had known about. So I, I found out a little bit. Um, but yeah, they uh, I had a lot of misguided anger, a lot of hate towards them. And it, it was it was un, undeserved. But again, I was 19 years old and I thought, how dare you lie to me? You know, but I talked to them later and, you know, they said, Dallas, we explained to you when you were five where you were told by a therapist not to really go into details until your kid asks more questions. Hmm. Well, growing up, I didn't want to ask any questions. I didn't want to talk about it. So it was kind of like nobody ever talked about it. So it's not like they deliberately lied, um, but I, I took that as they did. So, yeah, we had about five years where we didn't even speak. And, you know, I, I regret to this day that, you know, like I say, they it was just misguided. You know, I just didn't understand. So... Yeah, I kind of went on a crazy ride for uh, about five years. I mean, every drug, you can, I mean, I never put a needle in my arm, but snorting up cocaine all the time, drinking to, I mean, excess levels where I probably should have died of alcoholism, smoking pot was the least of my worries that time. I mean, I was smoking an ounce of weed every three or four days. I mean, just nonstop stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I, I tell people too then, like, growing up with a strong faith, I was always, you know, no one ruled against God's eyes is suicide. You know, I mean, it's the ultimate sign of giving up and, you know, God gives us this life to live. And that's the ultimate sign too of disrespect. I feel like, and I know there's some people out there that have committed suicide. I'm not saying um, anything disparaging, but I just grew up with a faith that just, that you couldn't do that. So I think looking back that I was, I, I mean, I was trying to kill myself then without doing it. So again, just excessive drug use, alcohol. I, I, I didn't want to live because I just felt like I had no value. I had no worth. You were testing the limits of what was possible with your own body. Oh yeah. I mean, I had times where doing cocaine, I felt like my heart was ready to explode and most people probably would have stopped and never did it again. I just did more because I was like, mm -hmm. let's just get, you know, if we're going to do this, let's just get it over with. So, um, yeah, it was a quite a five year experience. I, I can't, you know, I, I say I can't imagine. I don't want to imagine, you know, my own son doing that to me. He came into the system later in life, right? Like he came in later knowing that he wasn't our son, right? I mean, he, right. Was, he was older. So 
for me, it seems like it would be, but I can also see from the perspective of you looking at it going, well, why didn't you tell me everything that you knew? All right. Well, and I felt that way, but like I said, after, after I got kind of the courage to talk to them, they explained it. And, you know, I, I give everybody the benefit of the doubt, something I never was good at, but I am at now. So everything to me is about intentions. And I knew, I knew their intentions weren't to lie to me, you know, to hurt me. It was just, they thought they were doing the best they could not confuse a five-year-old. And I get it. Uh, but at the time I didn't get it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was like, you kind of like, how dare you lie to me? And you know, that wasn't the case. So all about forgiveness, you know, forgiveness. And like I say, give people the benefit of the doubt. It's all about intentions. So, yeah, it was like I say, it was like a five-year period where I, I'll tell you since then, I mean, I'll get to that chapter three here in a minute, but, um, I mean, we haven't even, we, we haven't even gotten an argument in almost 20 years. So, wow. yeah, we got the best relationship you could ask for now, but, uh, took a lot of growing on my part, you know, a lot of, uh, self-reflection rather than looking at them, what they could have done different. I looked at myself and how I could have done things different. Now, when you were wrestling, cause I was a wrestler, right? I, I wrestled oh, yeah. a good portion <laughs> of my life. You know, I'm 43 now and I wrestled almost half of it at this point. Uh, did, is, was there a way of getting rid of anger in, on the mat? Like being, you know, just you and that other person. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that was probably a detriment to my career because, yeah, I was like football too. I would go in like a maniac. Um, <laughs> I wasn't very, um, I wasn't very calculated. You could say that. <laughs> you could see it. Yeah. Well, I, and it, it, I mean, I won a lot of matches going in there like a wild man. But like I say, there was, there was times I probably could have been a little more poised and collected and, want, you know, we did a little bit better. But I, I had a good wrestling career for sure. Yeah, well, we've actually gotten our son into Taekwondo. That's good. And so he is actually, he, well, now he's a black belt recommended, which is great, you know. So for two years, he's been pursuing this, but it, it was such a help because of the fact that we were looking for ways to be able to redirect his anger or redirect what he was going through in the moment, even if it was, you know, anger towards us. We would still take him to the the I don't even know what it's called dojo or dojo uh, yeah the school. We would take him <laughs> to the school and we'd be like, okay, you're going to do this. And I have to tell you that it's those types of you know arts that really allow the anger to be to be thrown, especially ones like taekwondo, karate, stuff like that, where it's very you know systematic of how you go through the motions and do in wrestling it's you know you just throw the guy around and all right you you, you pin him like you throw banana splits or you throw a cradle or you know foid flop something like that you 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 throw what's given to you in taekwondo and the others it, it really helps to kind of formulate that into a you know here's my anger i'm taking it and i'm redirecting it in this all way. right and so we have found a lot of success with that, with him. So I'm glad to hear that even, you know, on the wrestling mat coming off of that, that that was a big deal for you. Yeah. Yeah. I wish it had been more popular back when I was a kid, like MMA, jiu-jitsu, some of that stuff. Okay. I probably would have done it back then. Because, yeah, you're exactly right. It's a little more, a little more controlled, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, I look at like the Hoist Gracies, right? Like UFC. Like look at Hoist Gracie. Look at the the entire Gracie family doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and just 
you, you watch them move and stuff. And now with mixed martial arts, it looks completely different than when you and I were younger. It's like, Oh my goodness, uh -huh. that is, that is not what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. But well, well, good stuff. So you, you found out that she wasn't your mom. Uh, why did she give you her number? Did you ever like find out why? Well, they always kind of wanted to have some type of relationship. Um, you know, like I say, I'd seen them at wrestling tournaments and they, they'd make eye contact with me and, you know, they never really came up to me much, but I'm, you know, I'm sure they just probably wanted some type of relationship. I mean, they loved me and cared about me. They, they had me. Um, I come to find out later too, there was a dispute between the husband and wife. I guess the husband, um, you know, my, I guess my foster dad at the time, he actually wanted to adopt me and she didn't. So, uh, they had a little falling out over that. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, I just look for the goodness of people. I'm just sure that she just probably wanted to have some type of, you know, at least say hi or how are you doing? But like I say, I just, I was a, I was an asshole. I still wanted anything to do with her at all. Yeah. So. Well, again, it's that redirect of, of the anger, you know, finding new ways to be able to do that. But in that type of situation, it almost seems like you're kind of caught in the middle of, well, what do I do? Right. So, all right. And so then we move out of the anger period, I guess the anger, the, the angry chapter and start yes. to move towards chapter three. Yeah. So what, I mean, one of the most impactful days of my life is when I had my daughter, but before that, um, and I'm not advocating any type of drug use for anybody out there, but this is just what worked for me. Um, I was 24 and I took a, a pretty massive dose of psilocybin mushrooms and I don't, it just, how I kind of tell people this is, I feel like I went through 20 years of therapy in about four hours. I mean, literally like I sat with a therapist for decades in four hours and every label I had put on myself, every negative label, every negative emotion I had, every ounce of misguided, again, anger towards my parents, blaming them, me being a victim, it all just went away. I mean, like that, like it was gone. And it, it's like, I didn't have to try. It wasn't like I had to think about it. It was just washed away, completely gone. Um, and then I was replaced with pure love, um, forgiveness, um, gratitude, Pretty much every negative emotion got flipped up on upside down. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that the old me died that day and was replaced with somebody new. And, um, you know, the whole time, even when I was, you know, drinking and doing drugs heavily, and I, this nothing, I still tried to self, I still tried to have self-development every day. So I was still reading, I was still writing, I was still praying. Um, I just didn't really, you know, I didn't fall off completely. Um, so there was always this resiliency, resiliency in me to change for the better, even when I was in those dark stages. So I think it was just God, just like, Hey, you've wanted this for so long here, you know, here it is for you. And so it yeah. Sounds um, like it was cheaper than therapy too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Way, way cheaper. It's about <laughs> 50 bucks probably compared to 50,000. <laughs> yeah. That, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, man, that next day, though, I just, I, you know, I, 
I went home and uh, my I was at my parents' house that that for a period they were living with them and I got up the next day, started cleaning up their house, started putting everything in order, and they looked at me like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> you know, because it was just I was there to serve them, you know, and that's kind of what I felt like my purpose was to you know really serve people and help and uh yeah like i say that was i was 24 i'll be 41 tomorrow and like i say since then we haven't even really got an argument in that long i mean wow and i used to come home and like they my parents are both school teachers and uh i mean i'd come home and they would say the slightest thing to me man i would just i'd punch a hole in the wall i was just you know out of control and uh overnight i mean literally overnight it just it changed and uh it's really never been the same since then so yeah i'd say like i say besides my daughter being born that was probably the most impactful day of my life for sure so what did you have anybody with you when you did this like to make sure that you were safe or no and again i'm not advocating any of this i mean i was that idiot would drink and drive all the time but uh this day i mean i'll give you a little background on it i was at one of my friend's house and i left and it was like it was on a sunday and um it was about to be, the sun was about to go down. And of all things, I got lost driving and I ended up in a cemetery of all places. Like I didn't intentionally go there. It was almost like I was directed there. I don't know. But I ended up in a cemetery and I've always been a big believer on intuition, instinct, our conscience, God, whatever it is telling us to do things. I got out of my car and I was walking up a hill where these gravestones were. And as the sun was like going down, that's when all this change occurred. So like as that sun crest up over the hill and came down, that's when it just everything changed. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's where I was at. And I sat down and cried for a minute and then I got up and left. And yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't even describe the feeling. I don't know. For some, anybody, anybody out there that has done um, psychedelics or whatnot, a lot of people would maybe not, you know, agree to that exact same story, but people have had, you know, profound moments like that where they're completely life-changing. So, uh, yeah, it's where, where I ended up at. And then I say, I sat there and cried for a few minutes and then got myself together and went home. Wow. And then the other most amazing day of your life was your daughter being born. Yes. Yes. So and that's kind of where, so chapter three there is where I did the uh, psychedelics. And then, so I was about 24 to 30. Now, 24 to 30, I was still drifting through life. I was still drinking heavily, but I didn't have all that anger inside of me anymore. I didn't have those labels connected to me. I didn't have the shame, but I was still kind of lost, you know, partying. Um, 30, though, is when I had my daughter. And like I say, I'll be 41 tomorrow. And in 11 years, I've been drunk, like where I was like really, really drunk twice in 11 years. Wow. Completely sober now. Um, I don't know nothing. I don't do any substances, but uh, that's something I'm really proud of because, yeah, I mean, I was that guy where if I didn't drink, my hand would shake. I'd have delirium tremors, um, severe withdrawals. I mean, there's several times I should have checked into AA. Um, so, yeah, when she was born, everything changed. Um, the alcohol pretty much stopped. And then I had a new purpose in life, you know, as the first real blood that I that I had, had my, that I have ever had you know at 30 years old so yeah i mean needless to say i cherish her um and i'm not i know every kid has parents they love their kids and all and they're the world to them but 
I don't know. I feel like I have just something extra special with her because I look at her and again, she's the only real blood I have that I know. So, uh, yeah, she's my world for sure. And, uh, that's the thing at that time. It was just, I didn't really care. You know, I wanted to be successful in life, but I just, as long as I could be a good dad, that was kind of my, my life's mission at that point. So now it's more about being successful in her life versus your own life. Yes. Yes. I mean, I want her to, again, when she gets older, I just want her to say I have the best dad ever. And I tell her, I mean, I tell her constantly, she knows if I ask her, her name is Beta, but if, if I say Beta, what's the best day of my life? She knows right then. Day I was born, dad. Cause I mean, I tell her that all the time. Uh, I tell her I love her just nonstop every day. And uh, yeah, I mean it. So yeah, she, uh, she definitely changed me for good. So what is it that you do each and every single day for her that you wish had been done for you when you were younger? Tell her I love her nonstop. Because my parents, when I grew up, man, they uh, they were loving, but they were never verbal about it. And I can remember a time even that they just, I, I'd never heard it from them. And it's, they were school teachers. Again, I know their lives were busy, but I just never really heard it. And it was something I wanted to hear, as I'm assuming every kid wants to hear those words. Uh, but I remember being eight years old in third grade and having to muster up the courage to tell my mom I love her just so I could hear that back. Mm. Uh, my dad, he never said it once until I was I was around 25 and I had to tell him first. Which, you know, whatever. But again, to answer your question, it's just so she knows. And I tell her, I mean, I'll tell her a dozen times a day how much I love her, so... That's something, yeah, I, I do with her that I wish I'd have had more when I was a kid. Yeah, I think I think that it's when you come out of adoption, you sometimes are so thirsty for what is out there in that way of love. Like that's that's kind of what we've experienced in our our end is uh, the constant need to hear. But yeah. to me, it's not a constant need. It's a constant. Well, I think it's a balance between want and need. Because you want to hear it coming, but you also need to understand. And people love differently, right? Right. Well, and I can tell you from being adopted, I'm sure, um, you know, I'm on Instagram and I, I see, I follow a lot of people who are adopted as well. And there's just this feeling of, I don't know, not have much value, I guess, or, or worth when you are adopted because you feel like, how could you... You know, to your birth parents, like, how could you give me up for adoption? So, yeah, you definitely, you definitely need some validation, I would say, you know, hearing those words, you know, make you feel validated and worthwhile for sure. Yeah. And you're, you're right. I think it's that validation of, I do in fact belong. I, I am here. And mm -hmm. so you, you actually said that you, you got bullied a lot for having been adopted. What do you think it was about the idea of being adopted? And it is, is it that is it still that bad today, you think, for kids like that? For kids? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Kids are pretty mean. Um, I think it was just being different. Like, you know, I got picked on because of my name, Dallas. Like, I'm an adult. I love my name now. But I think kids, it's just anything that's outside the norm, the, uh, the conventional ways, I think they just pick on kids. Yeah. Um, and especially being so unique, being adopted, it's not like, you know, if a kid's overweight, he might have five other classmates that are overweight too. So now there's a little bit bigger of a pool to pick on. But when you're adopted, you're probably, you're probably the only one in the classroom that's like that. Yeah. 
So I think it just gives kids a little bit more of an opportunity, I guess, to get you. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I think kids are definitely mean, uh, in a lot of ways, (laughs) but I think it's mostly just simply because they're trying to find where they fit in themselves. Right. Right. So I'm not a child psychologist, so I'm just putting that out there as a, as a potential of what could be right. But, you know, I saw it at basic training. I was a military training. I was a drill instructor for a lot, four and a half years. And you see that mentality when you get those 18, 17 year olds that come in that were maybe picked on a little bit and then they get into that environment and they're like, okay, well now I'm bringing it back because right. you know, you get what I brought. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's good. You, you've hit that time. It's 30 years old. Your daughter is born. Uh, it's got to be a great feeling to be able to invest in her like that. Yeah. I mean, I always, I always wanted to be a parent, you know, at some point. Um, and the older I was getting, the more worried I was. I never would be. But uh, fortunately, I was. But, yeah, um, I just, I love teaching her. I love giving her some of the, you know, wisdom from, from dad. Because like I say, I, I, I don't want to say I've been through everything. And there's people out there way worse than me. But uh, yeah, I just feel like I have a lot to offer her as far as how to live, I guess, and what not to do, yeah. what to do and what not to do. Yeah. And, and it's good to be able to have that. Does, does she know your, your past? Yeah. She just found out not too long ago, about a year ago. How'd she take it? Uh, kind of confused at first, but you know, I, I drill into her head real fast that, you know, your grandparents are your grandparents. There's not any, they're not real. It's none of that. That's, there's just no, no second guessing. Those are your grandparents. Yeah. So if you could meet your biological parents, would you? At this stage of my life, I don't know. And I don't know if I'm lying to myself or in denial because I have my own child and I think there's really no need for it. I don't think about it like I used to. Like, I told you tomorrow's my birthday. It used to be one of the worst days of my life or of the year. I hated my birthdays because it was just a constant reminder, um, you know, of how I grew up or what, you know, how what had happened to me in my life. But um, now I don't know. You know, it's like I say, it's not really on the forefront of my mind like it used to be. And again, I don't know if I'm lying to myself. Maybe I am and I don't know. But I just, I don't feel like it's a just, it's pressing like it used to be. And that's again, because I have my own daughter and my own family now. So yeah, I don't know if it happened, it happened. I guess if it didn't, it didn't. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just always think that maybe if it was a little bit younger, just, just to find out kind of that, that medical history stuff or to. Well, you know, and I've been asked about that and let me tell you, so. I look at that as a blessing and a, and a curse. Mm. Uh, curse because, yeah, it would be nice to know my medical history for sure. But I also look at it, and my life, I, everything in my life is about perspective. So I look at that as I feel like so many people know their family history and they can use that as a crutch or they can use that as an excuse. Like, you know, my, my mom had diabetes, so I'm going to have diabetes. So I might as well just, you know, eat horrible foods because you're going to have diabetes anyway. What's the point? Um, and then me being such a spiritual person, um, I don't want to be dark here or, or, you know, but we're all going to be dead someday. So I don't really fear death at all. Um, and so if I, you know, if I get someone I'm older, I will. Now for the sake of my daughter, it might be different and maybe I would want to know for her sake, but for me, 
I kind of like the living free part of it. Just, I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, to me, it's almost exciting. Other people it may scare the crap out of them and, you know, they wish they knew, but like I say to me, I know I got a greater life after this temporary life. So, I mean, if I got, if I, if I'm pre, you know, disposed of something, then uh, just the way it is. Hey Dallas. And, uh, you know, just for everybody out there, you are going to die. Everybody is going to die. Some of us know a better chance of how we're going to, but I think that's a great point to bring up. The idea that you don't actually know a lot of your family history. You don't know what uh, what kind of diseases ran in them and stuff. And so you don't, I think that we get so scared and we start web MDing everything that we have to find mm-hmm. out, is that is that going to happen to me? So it All it right. is freeing in a large sense. Yeah. It's all about perspective, you know, anything in life. So I just look at it from that perspective and I don't know, I just feel better about it. And now what are you doing now? Like what's, what, what, what has your past done for your future? Well, so kind of relate back to the gentleman I mentioned earlier, Wes Watson. Um, He kind of, he kind of got my, you know, my, my wheels spinning here as far as my new purpose in life. And, he has a quote where he talks about every man's purpose in life should be, be, you know, be who you would admire, be the man that you want to be, and then give that person away to the world. So somebody I would admire is somebody who's sober, somebody who is a great father. Um, and that's who I I'm becoming. And it's only about a year. I mean, about a year where it's completely complete so, uh, sobriety, but, uh, yeah, my my uh, my passion, my goal is to be. I started life coaching a little bit, and I, I mean that's kind of what I want to get to in the future is just helping other people because I know there's so many people out there that struggle with drugs, alcohol, and I've always had a weight problem too, man. Like you name any vice, I smoked cigarettes too for about twenty years a pack a day. Oh, quit boy. that. Quit cocaine, marijuana, alcohol, and even vices with food. And people think that's kind of a joke that. You know, but food can, it can take over your life. And I've had bouts where it's just my weight fluctuates and you're going to tell when I get real heavy, it's because I'm not doing good internally. Um, so yeah, I mean, I want to help people in just all aspects of life. And, you know, especially kids are adopted too, because I know they can be confused growing up. And again, I have a lot of that anger and hate and, uh, I just want to help people. So that's what I'm doing now. Now, like I say, I'm only a year into this journey of, complete sobriety, but, uh, I'm slowly starting to become who, who somebody I would admire. And then, like I say, I want to give that person away to the world and just serve others. Oh, I, I love that concept. Be who you want the world to see and give it away to them. Right. You, you can't hold back in a lot of, in a lot of cases, because when you hold back those pieces, uh, you may be holding on to that one element that somebody needs in order to complete their puzzle. Right. Correct. And you know, man, that's a good point. That's something Wes always talks about is he goes, I don't care who you are. You have, and he, he says people that are selfish that don't express themselves in a way. Cause just like you said, everybody has a story and everybody has something that can help somebody. It may not help 10 million people, but it may help two or three, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And everybody has value. Everybody has worth. So yeah, just, you know, share that. And like you said, somebody out there will will benefit from that. Yeah. So what's the dream? 
Like what's the what's the best case scenario for for Dallas going forward? So I'd say yeah, being a full time life coach, um, fitness, and I'm I'm getting back into um, heavily getting back into fitness because any, anytime and it's something Wes talked about too when he was in prison. Anytime he had negative thought patterns, anytime his mind would go dark, he'd get on the floor and start doing push ups. And through exercise, it he said he he's got a saying. It says the pump is the cure. So, you know, when you get a pump in the gym, that's a cure for everything. Um, so, yeah, my, my goal in the future would be life, fitness, mindset coach, for sure. And then, you know, I would even like to do speaking engagements in some places. Um, you know, I kind of see myself talking to high schools someday, you know, helping, helping kids. Yeah, you know, and I'm sitting here looking at Wes's Instagram, and I'm like, he must have been really angry because he's really big. So yeah. yeah, he's a big guy. But if you listen to him talk, man, he's a uh, he doesn't miss a beat. And I'll tell you one other thing I love about him, man, is how he preaches sobriety. Because we live in such a world where, and especially alcohol, it's so glamorized. And I look at like I'll tell you a quick story. I was watching Arnold Schwarzenegger the other day on Instagram. Hero to so many people, right? And he had a video on there where he was pouring peach schnapps into his pre-workout drink. <laughs> Some people may see it on the surface and say, well, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, he can kind of do what he wants. But I guarantee you, he just ruined some kid's life. Mm. I guarantee you, some kid's going to see that, start pouring booze into his pre-workout drink, and he probably turned into an alcoholic. Now, is that Arnold Schwarzenegger's responsibility to be a role model for the world? No, but it's like, why, why do that? Like, why don't you preach putting blueberries in your pre-workout mix or something like why are you putting peach schnapps on there uh you know the rock is another example dwayne johnson great guy big movie star but he promotes that tequila non-stop some kid's gonna ruin his life from that I'm you know so like i say one thing i love about wes is he preaches complete sobriety you know so i don't have any regrets i can tell you that i had a million regrets waking up drunk and everything else but i haven't had one single day where i woke up sober and regretted it and i and i have found such benefit in water now i used to drink a lot you oh, know yeah. being being active duty military you know it, it I mean, goes in there sometimes <laughs> right i mean it, it, it right it goes along with it sometimes but uh uh now that I'm getting older and waking up is getting harder with, uh, with, with yeah. that, uh, I am finding a lot more joy in my life and my body is enjoying the water that I'm putting in versus oh, yeah. the alcohol. So I, I have no issues, uh, with preaching that loud and proud, right? Yeah. Well, there aren't many that do it these days. So. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Dwayne Johnson does own the tequila company. So, I mean. Well, I guess he does have to market. He does, he does have to put it out there. And who's the best? I mean, what? Are you going to have Kevin Hart do it? Come on. Right. Yeah. yeah. Good point. <laughs> but what does that say when it's a consistency in that element? You know, you can do it once. You can do it twice. As long as it's a known thing that you own that brand. Okay. I, I kind of get that. Um, yeah, but now, now that you've gone through the five chapters of your life or the five internal deal, how do you define spiritual resilience? Well, um, 
Give me a little bit more definition. Now. What do you what exactly mean by that? Spiritual resilience, like so. Okay, so resilience in general, a lot of people are going to look at it as a you know getting over or overcoming something, getting uh, you know going through to get through. Mm-hmm. I I look at it in the sense of bouncing forward. I actually heard somebody, Robert Party, who said it on this podcast before, where it's. He, he doesn't look at it as bouncing back. He looks at it as bouncing forward and over and through a situation. So in the sense of spirituality with that, it for me personally, spiritual resilience is going through something I know 100% I would not be able to make it through on my own and having to rely 100% on something else, i.e. for me is God, the Bible, yes. Jesus, that's how I get through stuff in the yes. spiritual sense. But this journey that we're on is to identify what it looks like in individuals' lives who have gone through different situations other than my own. So how would yes. you define spiritual resilience? Well, exactly how you just did. And um, yeah, like I say, when I, I, I grew up in church, so I always had faith and a Christian church. So I always had Jesus in my heart and God. Um, and that's what I would tell, man, anybody out there who's struggling with, with anything, especially drugs and alcohol is you have to have a higher power. You have to like, there were so many times I was at rock bottom and that's what got me out of it. Because again, I always had faith that God's up there. He's, he's going to help me, but I have to do my part. And for a long time, I didn't do my part. So why, and I look at them like, why would God help me? To me, it's a, you can't just, you got to be congruent and in alignment. You can't just ask God for help and then be not doing anything to help yourself. He's not going to help you. So it took me a long time to realize that. Um, but I always had God close to my heart. And yeah, I just look at it. And I know they teach that in AA too. I think, so I think uh, 12-step program, I think step one is you have to have a higher power. Um, so, you know, if you don't want to call Jesus or Buddha, Muhammad, whoever, but you have to believe there's something bigger out there that that's bigger than you that can, that can pull you up when you're at your, you know, your lowest point. And I always did. So. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, and that's good because you do need to think beyond yourself through your own situation of what you're going through. But I, that's always stuck with me since I had that conversation with Robert and I talked to him, actually quite often on LinkedIn, just bouncing forward, getting beyond and through whatever that situation is, because you don't know what you don't know. And other people are going to not know what they don't know. But if you've already been there and you've already gone through it, you're held to a standard of where you should be helping people come through that. And that's why I love the fact of your life coaching. Because you're working with people that have been there and, and the niche of adoption, you, you were very profound when you said uh, identity. A lot of kids don't know their identity as they go through and transition through adoption. And how much right. more so for the kids who, who age out. All right. So I think you found your, your, your special spot there, Dallas. Thank you. Yeah, I believe so. It's just, and it, I don't really rush things. I'm on God's time. So yeah, I look at it as God knows my intentions. God knows my needs and wants. So I'll just 
do the right thing and then let it unfold, you know, on his Absolutely. Watch. Hey, do you have any final words for our listeners? Uh, I would say life is all about perspective. And we know when, when a man is right in his world, the world will be right. So you have to work on yourself, um, have a good perspective on life. Always give people, people the benefit of the doubt. No people are born inherently good. That's another thing too, is we can kind of crap on people in society. And, um, you have to look at, I look at everybody as, you know, from birth, everybody's born inherently good. And just the second message I'd say, man, is just don't give up on anything. Don't quit. It's the only way you can fail is quitting. Uh, just keep pressing forward. Have a faith in a higher power. Treat people. I'll tell you, I'll end with this. I kind of live by a few rules. Um, be somewhat successful in life, but it's, you know, is treat people good. Do the right thing at all times and, and work hard. And I feel like if you do those things and life will kind of just work itself out for you. So. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Dallas, we've been blessed that you've taken the time this evening to just invest into us, to, to take the time to sit down, have the conversations, the sometimes hard ones to have, uh, but always beneficial. So uh, I would like to send out a very special shout out to my good friend and producer, G. Frazier, with 369sounddesigns.com because you, my friend, have to make me sound good each and every single week. And tonight, you're finishing off an episode for about three and a half hours of trying to make me sound good, even when the computer doesn't work with me. So we are blessed here by the entire team here at the Wartime Leadership Podcast. Be blessed. Hey, Warriors, have you ever wanted to start your own podcast? Now it's easier than ever with Zencaster. Zencaster is the quickest and easiest no-fuss solution to your podcast needs. All you have to do is log in using your browser, and you're off to the races. You can start recording high-quality podcasts right away. Record studio-quality audio and video, video up to 4K with you and your guest. Zencaster is an all-in-one, one-stop shop. When we first got started, we had to use several platforms. Now with Zencaster, that's a thing of the past. Now, folks, here's the real deal. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code WARTIME and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. That's right, 30% off. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story.